Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. But for the matters at hand, I've been quite excited about sharing this message with you. And I know that this is a message that I believe the, the concept, what, what we're going to talk about is, is very important for us. And I was mentioning to Rabbi Carl in an email that this is a message I would have loved to have an hour and a half to deliver. So you're going to have a truncated, don't get scared, we're not going to take an hour and a half. You're going to have a truncated version of this message. And it starts, what I'd like to share begins with a person that we all know about. And that's Noah, or Noah. How many of you know about Noah? All right, I'm in good company here. And there's almost near universal recognition of the name of Noah. And uh, recently at our home, we were looking at uh, some of the names that have become popular again in America. There's a list you can find of all the popular names. Well, the name that's coming back up to the top is Noah. It just seems to cycle. That shows that people are aware of that name, continue, and probably are aware of the narrative or the story about him. In Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verse 9, which is the first verse of this week's parasha, this week's Torah portion, it says this, says, Noah was a just man, an ish sadiq. Tamim haya bedortav, he was blameless in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Well, there's a good introduction right there, huh? Would you like those things said about you? May they be said about all of us who are believers but with those wonderful things, Noah was a just man. He was blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. The scripture gives us this very stark contrast between Noah, Noah and the generation or the people that lived around him. And Noah lived in the midst of what could greatly be called an evil generation, an evil generation. And yet in the midst of an evil generation in which Noah lived, Noah was able to hear the word of God. Think about that. Of all the different things that he could have been distracted by, all the, can I say it this way, the, the ways of the world and the activities of the world and the, the things of the world, because he lived in an extremely bad generation. A generation that's described in uh, Bereshit and Genesis as the, the thoughts and the intents of the hearts of that gener generation was only evil, always, continuously evil. And you can imagine what the activities were like. Actually, don't think about that. <laughs> and that's how Noah heard the voice, the word of God in the middle of that. Not only did he hear the word of God, and here's maybe the crux and one of the key points we're going to explore today. 
Not only did he hear the word of God, but you know what else Noah did? He obeyed it. Because it's one thing to hear or one thing to even know the word of God, but I think you would agree with me there's a whole nother angle to this, to know the word of God and to actually do it or obey the word of God. And as I say that, I'm not only speaking from what the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, teach us, but also what the Brit Chazashah teaches us, the New Covenant. Because we're told in Yaakov, in James chapter 1, verse 22, we're told very specifically, and it is a commandment, it says, but be what? Doers of the word. And then it says this, and not hearers only. Not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And you can read further, but to skip forward, to fast forward to verse 25 of Yaakov, James chapter 1, it says this, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not forgetful, not a forgetful hearer, but a, what? a doer of the work. Doing the work, what the Word says to do, that's what we do. This one will be what? Will be blessed in what he does. Again, verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And you can just figure out. If you didn't know the narrative, you can just figure out what happens with Noah. Noah, the patient, obedient, gallant, bold, and righteous ark builder. I mean, that was his job description for a long time. People asked Noah and his generation, what do you do? I'm building an ark. I'm building an ark. I'm building an ark. But this one, this patient, righteous man, Noah, Noah, was blessed by God. He was blessed. He obeyed. He heard the word of God and he obeyed it. And friends, if you really want blessing in your, in your life, blessing from the Lord, know his word and do it. Know his word and do it. Don't think you can short circuit that because it will not work. You're only, as the scripture says in James chapter 1 verse 22, you're only just deceiving yourselves. Now, the blessing that came upon Noah as he obeyed, that blessing actually overflowed, and the Scripture teaches this very clearly in both the Tanakh, Hebrew Scriptures, and the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant. It overflowed to the seven close family members that he had, which would be his wife and his three sons and their wives. So each one of them had a wife. So the to total number, as the New Covenant points out in the book of First Kepha, the total number that uh, there were eight. Just think of that. That huge ark he built, and there were eight people from all that generation, eight people that actually got into that ark. And a whole lot of animals. How many of you know there's a whole lot of animals went into that ark? And I've wondered somehow, wow, yeah, I'm the ark builder, and you can put that on your card. I'm the ark builder. <laughs> but then after the ark was done and the animals were brought in, he became a zookeeper after that, <laughs> a, a, a water schlepper for the animals, or however you want to say it. That's what he did. But later in Scripture, Noah is linked with two men, men that you're aware of, and we find this in Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 14, Begin with verse 13. 
where the Lord says to Yehezkiel, to Ezekiel the prophet, he says, Ben-Adam, son of man, listen to this, please. When the land sins against me, this is the Lord speaking. When a land sins against me, and did the land actually sin? No, it's the people in the land that sinned. When a land sins against me, by this translation says, persistent unfaithfulness. In my notes, I have that in bold print and underlined. Persistent unfaithfulness. When a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, the text continues and says, I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine on it, and cut off man and beast from it. And here's where Noah's linked with some others. Even if these three men, and notice the three men that God chooses. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, Noah, Daniel, and Job, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, each described as righteous in their generation, each described as servants of God, each who suffered to obey the Lord and went through a lot in the middle of their generation, their circumstance to obey the Lord, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. Now, I emphasize, and you probably noticed that I did, I emphasize the term as it's translated in verse 13, that term persistent unfaithfulness. And the context is when a land sins against me, the Lord says, by persistent unfaithfulness. The Hebrew that's translated persistent unfaithfulness it's rather difficult to translate to English. It's a difficult Hebrew phrase to translate to English. And if you look at various translations of, of those words, those, those four Hebrew words, if you look at the different translations, trying to get the sense of what does this Hebrew mean, the New King James says, as I've said already, persistent unfaithfulness, the TLV, the Tree of Life, and the King James Version translates those Hebrew words as trespassing grievously. And then the complete Jewish, Jewish Bible says dealing treacherously. I think you get the picture, no matter how you translate it, that Hebrew, these words in Hebrew, these four Hebrew words, don't add up to anything good. Persistent unfaithfulness, trespassing grievously, dealing treacherously. How many think that that's not, those are not good things there? When God describes the land and the people of that land doing those things, that's not a good thing. So regardless of the translation one might use to, to get the sense of what the original Hebrew says, the point is that if the people of a land act, I'm going to add another word to this, act horrendously. If they act horrendously, God may stretch out his hand against that land. And when there is persistent evil, even the pleas of the likes of a Daniel or a, a, a Noah or a, a Job combined may not stay the Lord's hand toward that nation. Yes, those individuals may save themselves in their righteousness. 
but that may not stave, and this is a hard word, may not stave the hand of the Lord on that nation. Now, my point here this morning, one of them, is the converse of idea. The converse of that idea. If, if persistent unfaithfulness, trespassing, grievously dealing treacherously may cause the hand of God to come on a nation in a very, very hard way, Conversely speaking, what could cause God to stay his hand of judgment toward a nation? What would stop him from judging a nation? I think the answer is biblically quite simple. And its simplicity is profound, yet it's quite elusive. It's elusive. What could cause God to stay his hand of judgment toward a nation? Well, you probably have guessed it already. Teshuvah, repentance, repentance. Repentance is a change of course in a, in a person's life or on a national level, a change of course. And we find both in Scripture pointed out to us where individuals change their course. Now, God has his ways of getting our attention. How many of you have learned that in your life already? God has his way of getting your attention. He knows how to do it. If, if our ears are not so dull... He can get, it, get through to us. If our hearts aren't so hardened, he can get through to us if we're, we're willing to listen, if we're open to hear. But he has his way of getting attention. And something about repentance, when a person and a nation is made up of individual people, isn't it? When a nation turns from doing evil to doing what is right in God's sight, that is a much better course to take for that nation than to continue in doing, you know, a persistent unfaithfulness, trespassing grievously, and dealing treacherously. Now, sincere, heartfelt, ongoing acts of teshuvah, of repentance, can change outcomes. Most of us, and I pray all of us really, have come to a place in our life where we have repented of our sins and we are facing going forward. It's a Katima thing for us. We're going forward through faith in Yeshua the Messiah who laid down his life for us. His shed blood avails for us. But we know in the generation around us there are many that don't want anything to do with that. And maybe, I shouldn't say maybe, it is true that what Yeshua said, which we spoke about last week, that it will be as the days of Noah when he returns. Not good. <laughs> Not good. The generation was evil. Now, King Solomon. King Solomon once had the Lord appear to him at night. And how do I say this? God got Solomon's attention. I don't know how many of you are night owls, and that's when the Lord speaks to you. And there's usually some that are morning owls, if there are such things as morning owls. But God has his way of getting, and, and Scripture tells us he got Solomon's attention. Here's this great king doing this great work of building the Beit HaMikdash, the temple in Jerusalem, and God was able to get to Solomon, the king, in the night watch. And as a result, we can read about Second Chronicles, but Second Chronicles chapter 7 to be specific but this verse you may know very well. It was what was said to Solomon in the night watch by the Lord. 
2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name, notice the very first thing, will humble themselves. It is a truism. It's repeated several times in Scripture that God resists the proud. Those of you who know football, you realize that that's like a stiff arm. He gives a stiff arm to the proud, keeps them away from him. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves, but that's not all, and do what? Pray. And just take inventory of your own life. Do you really have a prayer life? I'm not your judge. That's not the point here. But take inventory. Do you have a prayer life? Do you spend time with the Lord? Or or are you just distracted with your phone all the time? Or with the computer? Or with other stuff? Your own good pleasures. But do you have a prayer life? Are you seeking God? Are you looking to Him? This generation desperately needs to. If my people are called by name, will humble themselves and pray. And then what does it say? As if to emphasize prayer, what prayer is about, seek my face, the Lord says. Prayer is not the, 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 this type of prayer is not the time where you just have your wish list, Lord, give me this, Lord, give me that, Lord, do this, Lord, do that. It's a time where you present yourself as a living sacrifice before the Lord. And you say, Lord, here am I, what would you want from me? Rather than what can I get from you, O Lord? I hope you see the distinction of that. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And here's where Teshuvah comes in. Because if a person humbles himself and they pray and they seek his face, you know what happens? Conviction sets in. Many of you have been services, maybe even here in this very sanctuary, or been at home and you've been praying and conviction came upon you about something. Sometimes it seems like it comes out of the blue. This, you need to deal with this, is what you sense deep inside. And what do you do when that happens? You do it. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then, this is a classic if-and-then statement that's found often in the book of Deuteronomy. Then, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. And the third point is, and heal their land. Now, the four actions prescribed in this passage for the people of God that will bring a positive divine response are, I've emphasized them, number one, Humbling ourselves. There's the gateway. Humbling ourselves. Number two is praying. Number three, this is all derived from this passage. Number three, seeking God's face. Another word for face, panim, is presence, his presence. And four, turning from our wicked ways. Then he says, if these four actions... If faithfully done, they will result in three actions on God's part. What three actions are they? Number one, hallelujah for this, he will hear from heaven. Number two, hallelujah, hallelujah for number two, he will forgive their sin. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah for number three, he will heal their land. 
How many times have we tried to short-circuit all this with our own devices and our own ways? And it's so clear here. And this was given not to, this was given to a king, the great King Solomon, who Yeshua described was arrayed in all his splendor. And yet the lilies of the field, look at how they were arrayed. But let's take a step back now. Since I've spoken in this first section about Teshuvah, repentance, how important it is, and even not only for an individual, but for the land. And as I say, this is a truncated message. There's much more to say about all this. But let's take a step back now. If the people of God are truly wise, please hear me. The people of God are truly wise. In this generation or any generation, we would realize there is a superior state that supersedes repentance. You might say, oh, are you sure about that? Yes, I am. That state, that superior state, is the state of ongoing obedience or doing what is right in God's sight in the first place. If we do what's right in God's sight in the first place, guess what? We don't need to repent. Now, what I found is that God is very meticulous, and he really does want us to walk uprightly. And he's very good by the power of his spirit to convict us. But if we walked in obedience, what would that mean? That would mean that this whole idea of repentance, this is a step before that we wouldn't have to repent of things. But guess what? We do. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Scripture enjoins us to have the right understanding about obeying and serving God. For example, in Psalm 32, verse 9, which is a, really a favorite of mine, it's a verse that contains an unusual command, an unusual imperative. It says, do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding. And then there's Isaiah 45, verse 9, which says, woe to him who strives with his maker. Wouldn't it be better if we got with God's program, walked in his ways, did what he said? And when we start thinking like that, we connect with those ancients, such as Job, such as Daniel, such as Noah, who sought first and above all to walk in the ways of God. Now, when we cross that line and we don't, we need repentance. How many agree when you cross the lines of God as far as sin and that type of thing, what do we need? We need repentance. It would be much better if we didn't cross those lines. To have that state that comes before repentance. Repentance is a result, a need of something that happens because of something we've done. In some cases, something we didn't do. Now, here's a key principle Scripture teaches us. To sin against the Lord, disobey His word, or reject His ways invites, it invites His correction, His discipline, His rebuke, or even at times judgment, whether it be on individuals or on nations. Scripture shows us both. You might say, well, oh, really, does it show us that about individuals? Let me just mention one memorable couple that's mentioned in the Brit Chadashah, Ananias and Sapphira. How many know who they were? 
they tried to pull the proverbial wool over the eyes of the Holy Spirit. Did it work? No. It won't work for us either, by the way. We need to be honest with God and as much as possible to obey Him in this generation as it, even as it's darkening around us. And what may be God's goal, though, as He rebukes sometimes, disciplines sometimes, corrects us? How many appreciate the Lord's correction in your life? I do. I appreciate it. It's like God showing His love because those whom He loves, guess what He does? He disciplines those. They're like His children. And it says also in the book of Messianic Jews that if you are in the book of Hebrews, if you're not being disciplined, you're not being corrected, then maybe you really aren't with your Father, your Heavenly Father. So why does God do this? Well, Isaiah got quite a bit of insight as to why God interferes with nations like he does. Why does he correct them? Why does he sometimes bring judgment on nations? And Isaiah chapter 26 verse 9 says, and notice again, Isaiah had a visitation at night also. So if you're a night owl, you have Isaiah that was somewhat of a night owl, and you have King Solomon that the Lord got his attention at night. So maybe at the night, nighttime is the time when you need to turn your heart towards the Lord. Maybe he'll speak to you at that time. But Yeshayahu, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 9 says, With my soul I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, Sedek lamdu tevil, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. When your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Now recall again what Ezekiel chapter 14 verse 13 said. It said, son of man, when the land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, trespassing grievously, dealing treacherously, however one wants to translate those four Hebrew words, God says, I will stretch out my hand against it. Well, what exactly was the nation doing? What were the peoples doing in the time of Noah? What were the people doing in the time of Ezekiel? What were the people doing at other times in biblical history where we see God dealing with nations? To put it in a nutshell, they were disregarding the Lord and his word while living selfishly, arrogantly, and can I say this, unwisely. Friends here today, we are rightfully inspired when we hear names like Job. How many are inspired by Job? I am. We had a great teaching at the men's breakfast this past Sunday on Job. Excellent teaching that our brother Matt brought. Daniel. How many of you are inspired by Daniel? I am. Noah. Are you inspired by Noah? Yeah, I don't have his building skills, but I'm certainly inspired there. My ark uh, has, has yet to come forth, you know, as far as building. We also rejoice when we think about Nineveh, which we studied the life of Jonah and his ministry to the Ninevites during Yom Kippur. And we're excited when we read about the revival that happened in the days of Hezekiah and Josiah and others. That excites us. And how much when I read about what happened with Yohanan Matbil, John the Immerser, John the Baptist, when people came out from Jerusalem, they made that trek down 
to that strip of water that we call Nahar Yarden, the, the Jordan River. They made their way down there to be immersed and to repent of their sins. And, and, and if you read carefully what the, the Besarot, the Gospels tell us, John told them to do certain things, not only to repent of the sins, but to put into action some of that repentance. So if you have, one, you have two codes, give one. Stop mistreating others. Yet I think Rob Shaul, Paul the Apostle, hit the proverbial nail on the head when he wrote in Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? And I have heard this before. That grace may abound. Have you known folks that just continue doing sin because they say, I'm under grace. I'm under grace. I'm under grace. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then notice Rob Shaul's answer. It's one of his strong answers. He says, certainly not. Certainly not. He said, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And he seems to be advocating to this place of obedience, that step that's before the need of repentance, that place of obedience where we walk in the ways of the Lord. That's always the best way. And what did it say about Noah when he was introduced in Genesis 6, verse 9? The last of the three things it says that he walked with God. Will you walk with God in this generation? That's the question we all answer. We're answering that right now in our lives with our actions, how we deal with material things, how we deal with people, how we deal with our neighbors. We're walking in that right now. We're showing it. As followers of Yeshua, let us be convinced deep in our hearts, deep inside of us, that it is best not to succumb to sin and rebellion in the first place. That's the best route for us. And should we stumble, and we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, should we stumble... Let us immediately turn to the Lord then in repentance and ask for his help, seeking his help, desiring his help, being open to his help. Because the Lord, how many of you have learned that the Lord is merciful? <laughs> the Lord is merciful, therefore, it says in Psalm 25, therefore he leads sinners in the way. And I'm so thankful for his mercy today. I'm so thankful. Listen to 1 John, please, chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Very tender words, I would add. My children, I am writing you these things. Why? So that you won't sin. My friends here today, what am I advocating to us here in the midst of this evil generation that we live in, that we not go the way of sin? My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, we have Yeshua, the Messiah, the Sadiq. Sadiq means the righteous one. The Sadiq. We have Yeshua, the Messiah, who pleads our cause with the Father. Also, he is the Kapara. He's the Kippur, the Kapara for our sins, the atonement. Uh, some translates this big word propitiation for our sins. That's who he is. We sang about the one who laid down his life for us, who shed his blood for us. Isaiah 53 points to him emphatically. 
He is the kapara for our sins. And I love this next statement. Lest we be so self-inclined and so self-centered about it. And not only for ours, for yours or mine, but also for those of what? The whole world. How powerful is the atoning blood of Yeshua? It avails to all who would trust him no matter what their background. Jews, non-Jews, Africa, Asia, Central America, you name it. Australia, even the islands of the Pacific or the islands of the Caribbean. Those who place their trust in this glorious Messiah, the risen one, the one who's coming back, and it will be as the days of Noah and his return, as we spoke of last week. When we place our trust in him, something happens. There's a, an interchange that happens. God wants us as individuals, and here's the rub point, and as a nation to honor him by trusting in Yeshua and obeying his word. If we do stumble, we know that before we were even born, Yeshua died for us. I still recall the very first time in 1975 when I was on the Mount of Olives as a single young man. like the word young there, huh? Single young man. <laughs> And I was there by myself, and I was sitting under a fig tree. How prophetic. <laughs> I was sitting under a fig tree. It was the first time that I had had time alone there, and I went up to the Mount of Olives. It was a totally different scenario than it is now, by the way. And I was sitting under a fig tree, and after I sat down, I looked over towards the Golden Gate there of the city, of the walls of Jerusalem. How, do you know what I, how many of you know what I'm talking about, the Golden I was looking at that. And something came upon me. And I realized that my life had been changed in that very area 2,000 years ago. Now that wall is basically new, but that place, Har Moriah, Mount Moriah, that area where Yeshua walked, that area right around there somewhere is where, where he was crucified. Right around there is somewhere where he was buried. And right around there is where that empty tomb was. And my life, I just thought, wow, how merciful and good is God that before I was even born, and by the way, this applies to you, my friends, that before you were born, God made, he made a way for you. And that way is Yeshua, the Messiah, through faith in him. It was very, I remember journaling about that time. How many you journal? Does anyone journal? All right, we have a few of us. But journaling that time and how precious those journals are to me now. I was, I was writing unabashedly, you know, what, what I was thinking, what I was experiencing spiritually because I, I think it's best to keep journals in spiritual things and rereading them and seeing what God was doing at that time and had no idea what he would do afterwards. But there I was, a single man under a fig tree looking at the golden gate, and then it hits me. Messiah changed my life here before I was even born through faith and trust in him. We need to daily show in our lives an increasing obedience. Will you please hear that term? An increasing obedience 
to the Holy Spirit so that we will walk in newness of life now, even if the generation around us does not, regardless of what they do, that we will walk in newness of life by the power of the Holy Spirit through obedience, by obeying. There is no shortcut. To obey is better than what? Sacrifice. And that brings me to really the crux of the matter that is our predicament today. We live in a generation that I believe, and I hope I'm very wrong about this, of increasing darkness. That's the generation we have, increasing darkness. And I'm reminded of the words of Messiah Yeshua, which can be applied not only to an individual, but hear me out, can be applied to nations because nations are made up of what? Individual people. And at one point he said in Matatiahu, Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, a statement that you're probably well aware of. He said, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That's very, hits the point, doesn't it? For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? But these same words of Yeshua, when applied to a whole nation, because nations are made up of individual people, men and women, young and old, children and otherwise, these same words can be applied to a nation. When they are applied to a nation, that same statement sounds like this. For what profit is it to a nation if it gains the whole world and loses its own soul? Can a nation lose its soul? Or what will a nation give in exchange for its soul? Does God see the soul of a nation? Every indicator in Scripture is that he does. He sees the very deep recesses of a nation. For sure he does. And again, bringing it to the crux point today, God knows America. He knows the United States. He knows what this country is at its core, at its very core level. And certain things are trending today that no doubt have been a stench to his nostrils. A stench. I don't need to go into gross details but a stench to his nostrils happening in this very nation. And there are many believers in Yeshua in America, yet sadly, we are increasingly marginalized, even though, ironically, our message and the one we represent is the only hope for the world or for this nation, that is Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. Yet we're being marginalized. Consider this, our college campuses are more conducive now in many cases to paganism and atheism and other isms than, than centers that are promoting that which a nation needs to be great in God's sight. And it's a well-known fact that the Ivy League University were all established for what? The purpose of the gospel going forward. Can I say it this way? They were Christian campuses. They were Christian-oriented. 
They, there was a desire that education that would go out and, and education would go out from these universities, great universities, out and enlighten the world and bring them to Jesus, to Yeshua. I don't even need to tell you what's happening on those campuses now. The marginalization of believers. It's creeping in here too. I have three children that have been through OU. It's creeping in here. It's happening. Our media is often biased and untruthful. Our national priorities are, are too often focused on personal pleasures and happiness or mammon. That, Greek, that Hebrew word that means things, really. And we accommodate and we accept what we shouldn't while rejecting the holy ways of God, and we're dissing his words. Now, when I say we, I don't necessarily mean those of you who are hearing this. If that was what you were about, you wouldn't be here today. But I think you know that what I'm saying has a great level of truth to it, that what's happening, the, the fermentation, the bad principles, the things that are happening on college campuses, secular college campuses across the nation is troubling. Yet the Word of God offers instruction for reversing the troubling trends of our day. The Word of God offers us instruction. I want to share that with you today in closing. As Jeremiah the prophet, as he saw what was coming upon Jerusalem, just imagine his situation the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord had shown Jeremiah what was going to happen to Jerusalem. Why do we call him the weeping prophet? Well, read the book of Lamentations. He loved Jerusalem. He loved his people. He loved Eretz Israel. But he saw the Babylonians were coming and they were going to raise, R-A-Z-E, raise Jerusalem, destroy it. And he lamented much of the book of Jeremiah is a, 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 where he's crying out, but there are some very instructive things here. Look at Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 10. There he is, this prophet, one of the last voices before the captivity to, to Babylon. And Jeremiah 6, verse 10 says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? And then he says this, Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot give heed. So, Hebrewism means their ears are closed. They, they won't accept the work of God. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. This is the people he's looking at, his generation around him. They had come to such a place that their ears couldn't hear anymore. And not only could they not hear the word of God, but they considered a reproach to even bring up the word of God. The people didn't have ears to hear God's word, less so to even obey it or give in to it, so to say. They viewed God's word as a reproach. And they didn't delight in God's word at all. But Jeremiah continues, and I encourage you to read all this chapter for time's sake. As I said, this is a truncated version of what I really wanted to share. Let's look at 
Fast forward to verse 15, Jeremiah 6, verse 15. Tell me, as I read this, does this sound like a large sector of American society? But this is from the words of Jeremiah. Here's what he said, Jeremiah 6, verse 15. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed. Nor did they know how to blush, he says. You can imagine what was happening around Jeremiah and his generation. Were they ashamed that they were committed about him? No, they weren't. Not at all. Did they even know to blush? Nope. Couldn't even blush about it. And Jeremiah then declared the consequences that would come to them, and they did. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At that time, I punish them. They shall be cast down, says the Lord. And as dark and hopeless as those words in Jeremiah chapter 6 seem, Jeremiah, under the inspiration of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, offers the way out. He speaks the way out, but just think they didn't want to hear him to begin with. And if you don't want to hear to begin with, even the words that will be your help, if you've closed your ears to them, then what consequence are they for you? In Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see. And as for netivotolam, the old pass as it's translated, as for Netivotolam, as for the old pass, where the Derechato, where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Yet sadly, <laughs> we then read, but they said, Lo Nelech, Lo Nelech, we will not walk in it. God says through Jeremiah, as for those proven paths, those netivotolam, those eternal paths, those, those established paths, the old paths, ask for those. That's where the derechatov, that's where the good way is. Ask for those things. If you do that and you'll walk in it, he says, you will find rest for your souls. And they sadly said, lo nelech. Can you say that with me? Lo nelech. We will not walk. We won't walk in it. Some think, some historians think that this response, this people's response, this generation's response, when they say, we're not going to do it. When God had said, if you'll ask for the right path, if you'll go to the ancient path, the established path, the good way, you'll find rest for your soul. And what do they say? We won't do it. Some think that that very, those two words in the heart of the people, lo was a turning point in Israel's whole history. If they had said, yes, we repent, we humble ourselves to God, we'll seek his face, we'll do what he says, who knows what would have happened. But that didn't happen only among a certain remnant of people, very few from a big generation. Now, what about our generation and our nation? Frankly, I think we are hanging in the balance we're hanging in the balance. Those who know me and have known me for a while know I am ever an optimist, and I remain an optimist. Why? Because Yeshua is Lord, and he's coming back again. 
He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the Savior. He's the Messiah. All authority, all power is given to him, not to the rabbis in Judaism, not to anyone else, but to him, our Mashiach, our Messiah. But I think we're hanging in the balance, and it comes all the way down to our home base level. Friends, there are many newfangled things out there vying to sap our time. They're vying to apprehend our devotion, to usurp our emotions where we aren't crying out to God like we should, to deplete our finances, to steal our tithes, and to short-circuit our energies. And what are we getting in exchange? Cheap, momentary thrills. Are we really tapping into those Netivot Olam, the ancient ways, the Derechatov, the good way in our lives as individuals? Are we doing it? Are we doing Second Chronicles 7, 4, 14? Humbling ourselves is where it starts. Praying, seeking God's face, and turning from our ways that are displeasing to the Lord. Because I think right now the course we need in these last days are the old but the good paths. Old is not a bad word. We need God's proven ways. We need to walk in God's proven ways in our lives. The ways that have stood the test of time. The ways that as we will walk in those ways, the derachatov, the good way that the Lord has given to us through faith in Yeshua, where we will find his help because he's an ever-present help in time of need. We will find his favor just like Noah found his favor. It says in Genesis chapter 6, Noah found grace. He found favor in the eyes of God. And we will grow in the spirit. So what are the ancient or old paths? There's many ways to define that. But the old paths are those proven ways which lead to pleasing God and receiving the life that only he can give. The world would want to exchange that and give you something else besides that that won't pass the test of time or eternity. Yeshua said in Yohanan, John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief does not come except to what? To steal. And do what? And to kill. And to do what? Destroy. And then Yeshua, hallelujah for him. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. That's the purpose of God for you today, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. If, you, if you're just meddling with all this other stuff that's stealing your time, your finances, your emotions, maybe it's time to get back to Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, and to do it secretly and privately. Go to your prayer closet if you have one. Go to that place where no eyes see you but the eyes of the Lord. And see if his word is true because it is. It says if you seek him secretly, what will he do? He will reward you openly. God can and God does deal with the heart of an individual. And he can deal with nations. Nothing's too difficult for him. He's the one who set the universe in its place. Do you think he can handle America? Do you think he can handle any continent? Of course. 
and not to demean anything or anyone, but it says in several places that the nations are as a drop in the bucket to him. So beginning with our own lives, we should pray for a heart, a heart that has Yeshua fully enthroned in it. Fully, not partially. I mean, some of us do the partial thing, but fully enthroned. And let us also pray for the heart, the core of America. Let us pray for that. That at the core of this nation, America will turn back to the good ways back to the principles of the word of God and back to him who is the king of kings and lord of lords, Yeshua the Messiah. And Ezekiel summed it up magnificently in my opinion when he told those who thought there was no hope in his generation, again an exiled generation, they, they, they saw no hope and he told them that God can and God would do an amazing work in people's lives. And here's the passage, Ezekiel chapter 36 beginning with verse 26. Notice who's doing the giving. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This he speaks to the Jewish people centuries ago and by application to all. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. So what is the result of following the way of purity, the way of a clean heart before the Lord, the way of simplicity of devotion, rather than what our darkening society is trying to lead us to, which we should resist steadfastly? The result of God's good work of maintaining a holy devotion on a personal level in your life and mine is a sublime, fulfilling, and loving personal relationship with the one who really loves us, Yeshua the Messiah. As Ezekiel summed it up, he said, (laughs) you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And when many turn to the Lord, a nation changes. When many turn to the Lord, a nation changes. So in that regard, I close with the life-giving words of Yeshua here this morning. This is what he said in John, Yochanan chapter 14, verse 23. He said, if anyone loves me, is your name in the anyone part of that? Is your name written there? Can you place your name in there and say, I really love the Messiah. If anyone loves me, He will keep my words, my word. And notice the consequence, the result, a better word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and guess what? We will make our home with him. That's what I pray for this nation. That's what I pray for all of us. Will you please bow your heads as we close in prayer? Father, thank you for your kindness to this nation. Lord, I know we are a nation in the balance right now. I plead with you for mercy. I plead with you, Lord, for a heart of repentance for this land that we would, again, call an abomination an abomination. We would learn again to blush 
that we would not say, Lo nelech, we won't follow you, Lord. But we would say, yes, Lord, thy will be done in our lives and in this nation now and in the days ahead. Lord, we lift up the many who are on the precipice right now. Many who are wondering what, what the future holds and are concerned about their lives. Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them as you did with Solomon and the night watches and Isaiah and the night watches in the early morning. That you would reveal yourself, O oh Lord, to our Jewish people. That you would visit Am Israel, the people of Israel at this time. And even in the midst of tragedy, horror, unspeakable, that many will come to know your Yeshua, your salvation. Thank you, Lord, for working with your people as a potter does with clay. And thank you, Lord, that your word says the clay doesn't tell the potter what to do. The clay submits to the potter's hands and does and becomes what the potter wills. Lord, may we become what you desire of us. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you, Lord, for each person that helps and supports the work here. Thank you, Lord, for those that are traveling today, that you'll bring them back safely. And thank you especially, Lord, for sending your son, Yeshua, the Messiah, our Redeemer. It's in his merit, in his name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.